Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 3. I am John DiCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com, joined by one of our most valued staff members, Javon Edmonds. Everybody else, not here today. I don't know why. Maybe they don't love us. Do you think they secretly hate our guts, Javon? Uh, I don't know. I say just put them on the line. You know, that'll solve a lot of things. You know? <laughs> I like telling Sam sometimes, like if somebody doesn't get back to him, like, I think, do you think it's because they secretly hate your guts? <laughs> I mean, he never believes me and it's just more a joke, but I don't know. I'm sure they love us. So what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm good. Uh, hoping for some good news by the end of the week. How, how's things your way? Good. I'm hanging in. I'm all right. All right. Ready for uh, ready for the season to start. Ready to discuss uh, our interview with Mike Vrieswick. Uh, talk to Mike for uh, for this podcast and for our Legends of North Broad Street series. And I had a lot of fun talking to Mike about our Alice Group draft. Uh, we've got plenty of, of football to discuss here at the back end of the pod famous number three, Siobhan. I mean, there are a few I can think of off the top of my head, but what, what do you have here? Ruth, Paul, yeah. Iverson, Wade. That's just the start. Yeah. It's a lot of the top ones. If Kyle was here, he might say Dale Murphy, former Atlanta brave. Um, Russell Wilson. Oh yeah. yeah I, wouldn't put, I wouldn't put Russ in the, like, I mean, like Babe Ruth now and Iverson, I feel like they're way up there. I don't know if there are any other, I'm sure there are a few athletes who like maybe switched to number three at the end of their career, but I think you, I think you hit on all the, all the top ones. Are yeah. You, I can't, I can't think of any other ones. Javon, what, what are you, what meal or meals are you going to eat down in the greater Baltimore Metroplex that you're going to miss once you get back to Philly? Although you're, like 90 minutes away from home. I make it sound like it's another country, but anything you're going to cram into your, your last few days at home? Chicken boxes and crab cakes. That's just the, the two things where no matter who tries to replicate them, no one else does it like Baltimore, except okay. for Chicago. Chicago does a good chicken box, but outside really? of that, you can't find great seafood and great chicken boxes outside of Baltimore. We could always squeeze it in if we're, you know, driving down to Durham, North Carolina for, for the Duke game in a couple of weeks. If Depending on, like, if we get a really early start and we're, like, hour and a half into our trip, it's, like, 8.30. <laughs> That's too early for probably. You know what? The Navy Who's game. up for crab cakes? Who's up for crab cakes <laughs> 8.30 in the morning? Look, when, when we go down for Navy, yeah, we can we can stop at somebody's seafood spot. All right. Yeah, Bubba Gump Shrimp down at the harbor. Have a good time. All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. Um, so again, had a lot of fun talking to Mike Breezewick again, a guy who scored 1650 career points at Temple was part of course of the, of the 87, 88 team that was ranked number one lost just once in the regular season. UNLV made it as far as the elite eight before good old Billy King who later went on to be a, a, a seasoned GM with the, the Sixers and the Nets. Uh, in his Duke days, shut down Mark Macon, 
and prevented John Cheney uh, from going to going to a Final Four. But Mike was part of some great teams. Uh, we've talked to him before on on this podcast. Talked to him before for the site. And again, if you're a, a, a if you're a longtime Temple fan, a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily new to you. But again, we wanted to touch base with Mike. He was he was on my team on my team that I drafted. Couldn't uh, like I said, couldn't get it across the across the finish line because Kyle out campaigned us, I suppose, beat us by by twelve votes on Twitter, but had a lot of fun with Mike. And again, what we're doing here is you're going to hear part of this interview on the scoop. And then the other part of it, all right, I shouldn't say the other part of it. Those of you who subscribe to Al Scoop will get access to the entire interview. So what you're going to hear uh, as follows here on the scoop is uh, Mike and I just, just having fun talking about the team that I drafted talking about Jim Maloney, the late Jim Maloney, the great coach that he was and drafted him as, as my coach for our team. Talked to him about Ernest Pollard, one of the guys who drafted in the late rounds. Ernest was, was John Cheney's first Prop 48 recruit. So Ernest was a, a really good player at Roman Catholic and uh, had to sit out his freshman year back then. Uh, the NCAA initial eligibility standards, which were initially known as Prop 48, did not allow players to, to play or practice with that team and sit out, pay their, for their own way that first year. But Ernest was still a really important part of the program for just reasons on the court, off the court asked Mike about just how he learned to shoot. You'll hear him talk here about, you know, although he later earned the nickname of Threeswick, he became a, a great mid-range shooter. He took a lot of pride in that. Um, talk to him about just, you know, how he plays a part in keeping some of the former players together and uh, talk to him more just about John Chaney. It's been seven, 17 months since he passed. And then if you are a subscriber to Al Scoop, you're going to hear more about um, Mike talked about, you know, how he was recruited by Pete Carrill, put something on Twitter recently about that. You'll hear him talk more about the 87-88 team uh, that season, how they had so many close games, some of his former teammates playing overseas, uh, the current Temple team, the coaching that he does now at the George School. That's all of what you'll hear in the full interview if you subscribe. But so, again, you're going to hear the part of this interview that you're going to hear now is for the podcast. And again, like I said, Mike and I had a great time. He's always generous with this time. So uh, we will play this uh, for you now. All right, we are thrilled to have with us once again on the scoop and on our Legends of North Broad Street series, Mike Vrieswick. Mike has always been so great with his time in the past. We've talked to him before, and so many of you, I'm sure, who are big Temple fans know the name Mike Vrieswick. Mike is kind enough to, to join us on vacation. He's at the beach. Mike, thanks for doing this. How are you? Yeah, my pleasure. I'm, I'm great. How are you? Hanging in, hanging in, doing okay. Uh, Sorry, our, our uh, allscoop.com Temple Hoops all-time fantasy team didn't pull it out in the finals. We, we lost, to, lost to Kyle's team. Mike uh, campaigned for us, you know, the, the way we did this. And we had a lot of fun with it and the debates and the arguments and the, and the teasing is half the fun. And we were trying to get votes on Twitter. And I think we ultimately ended up losing by 12 votes. Maybe one of these days we'll find a way to simulate these games but mike i remember when we i posted um the link to this thing on the the temple basketball facebook page that you run and i remember you saying like hey there were some some hits and misses at, at both ends of the draft it would, I, I know you've got a lot of other things going on in your life but when you when you looked at the list of the teams and stuff what, what did you think of this no this is all great fun and this is what sports is all about really mm -hmm. um you, you know when it's all said and done, uh, the, the players go out and they, uh, you know, they, they play they uh, to the best of their ability. Um, and, you know, they just leave it up to, uh, to the fans and the media, um, 
you know, and all the other interested parties to, you know, to have these, these fun debates. And this is what's, what's great about sports. Um, you know, for me, me personally, like I said, I, I never would even imagine uh, when I was playing that I would be uh, mentioned in the same conversation as some of these all time greats, um, you know, just, you know, just being part of these types of uh, debates and arguments is just uh, really a thrill and an honor to, for me. Cause I, I just, all I did was try to play as hard as I could and make my coach and teammates uh, proud. Um, then, you know, I just let everything else kind of fall where it falls. And, and, you know, 30, 40 years later, we're having, uh, you know, fun, fun debates and, and arguments like this. And it's, it's just great. We, it was, you know, so it was eight teams and it was like a snake draft, like a fantasy football draft. And I had the sixth pick and the first, so Caden Steele, one of our staff members, we were joking with him and saying, you're going to take Mark Macon or Guy Rogers. He went with Guy Rogers. First round goes Guy Rogers, Mark Macon, Deontay Christmas, Lynn Greer, Khalif Wyatt. I took Aaron and then Eddie went right after him. And then Kyle, who ended up winning the championship based on votes, takes Bill Milkvie and then Lavoy Allen coming back around. I was hoping to get Mark Jackson. I got you in the fourth round, the, the 27th overall pick, which I thought was tremendous value there. Do you think you were, you think you were overdrafted there, underdrafted? I think that's good value for you. I think you could have gone earlier. Yeah, you know, it's, um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I just love the fact that uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm up there in the uh, you know top, top thirty. Um, you know, it, it depends really on what kind of team uh, folks are are building. You know, basketball is, um, um, you know, it's not quite as uh, specialized as football per se, but. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's definitely different positions and and uh, different needs. Uh, you know, guys that can handle the ball and pass, uh, guys that can bang and rebound, and you know, guys that can uh, score and and shoot. So, you know, based on uh, you know, based on how you're building your team, you know, I, that's that's fine by me. You know, I uh, I, don't, I I did mention you know some some hits and misses and. Um, I certainly, uh, you know, feel all of all of the former players are are all family members. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I would I would never never say uh, you know this guy didn't deserve to be drafted here or there. The only thing I I would say is I thought that there were some uh, maybe some players towards the towards the end of the draft. That's where I it guess, got weird. You know, when you're at the yeah, when you're at the end of the <laughs> draft, I mean, you're you're looking for players, I guess, what, a hundred players or so were, were picked, but you know, some, some names appeared on here that I, that you kind of would never, you know, think would be on a, a list of, of all time temple players. And if you go back and look at some of the stats, I think, um, you know, they, that would, would bear that out. I, um, one of the other things that we did was we drafted, you know, we thought because the, the the program has only had a limited number of coaches over the years. And we thought it would be be hard to take each of us take a head coach. So we thought it would be fun to take assistant coaches. And, you know, we had Dan Leibovitz was a great part of this. You know, Varun Kumar, who's written for us, he drafted Dan as his coach. And Dan, Dan's like you. He chimes in. He's kind of like a historian of the program. I took Jim Maloney and I was hoping you could talk about. Jim Maloney, again, if you're a Temple fan, you know about the late Jim Maloney. 
Uh, but I think if, if you're maybe like a casual fan or a younger fan of the program, you may not know just how special he was to everything. And, and again, another, another part of the temple program that, that was gone too soon. And I was just hoping you could, you could talk about, about Jim Maloney, your memories of him and just kind of put into context what he meant to coach Cheney and the whole thing. Yeah. Well, coach Maloney really was, um, you know, sort of the, uh, I, I want to say the heart and soul of, of, uh, uh, of that program. Um, you know, he bridged that gap, I think, between um, uh, Casey and, and Coach Cheney. He, he remained on. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he had a, an, an eye for, for talent. He was, a, you know, a very good recruiter um, and, and could, uh, you know, he could pick out some, some diamonds in the rough. But a lot of people don't realize that the matchup zone uh, was really – uh, you know, the basis and the foundation of that uh, was really coach Maloney's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then of course the years and years that he had with, with coach Cheney, um, you know, coach Cheney kind of, kind of fine tuned it, but the, the, the base and the foundation was, was really something that, um, you know, coach Maloney, uh, devised. Um, you know, the other thing about coach, I, uh, coach Maloney, he was, one of the few people um, that would and could disagree with Coach Cheney, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know they would have spirited uh, discussions on things, and Coach Maloney would would not give any ground. You know, I Coach Cheney could be very persuasive, as you know, and uh, uh, you know he's got that type of, um, personality and, uh, you know, he could, you know, his, his arguments rarely, um, you know, when I'm talking about coach Cheney, when he has an argument, you know, he, he, he rare, rarely, uh, concedes, let's say, but right. coach Maloney was one of the, the fewest, maybe the, the only person that could stand up to coach and, uh, and go toe to toe with him on, uh, you know, on whatever the subject might be. And, you know, there were plenty of times when they, when they disagreed, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was all, uh, for the benefit of the program at the end of the day. Mike, one of the guys that I, that I took in, I, I took in the last round of the draft and I, and we all talked about our different approaches and tried to add some, like some, some character picks and just bring some, some fun into it. Like in the 12th round, it took Greg Jefferson. Now Greg's stats don't, don't add up, but he had that one great game that, that helped Temple get to the Elite Eight in 2001. And then in the 13th and final round, I took another one of your former teammates, Ernest Pollard. And, you know, again, like Ernest doesn't have the eye-popping stats that you had, but he was he was Coach Cheney's first Prop 48 recruit. And I remember talking to, to Ernest when, when Coach retired. And just like he was, in my mind, he's significant in at least in that in that regard, because that, as you know, was so significant to what coach Cheney did and giving people opportunities. And I remember talking to him about that. And I was hoping you could talk a little about, about Ernest again, a guy that isn't at the top of the career scoring list or anything like that, but how to roll on those teams and the program. And I think was kind of significant in that way. And I wanted to ask you about him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ernest and I came in together, um, uh, you know, well, I think he was one year, one year after me, but mm-hmm. Uh, he was coach's first um, 
quote unquote proper 48. Mm-hmm. I know Ernest is, uh, it was always special in, in coach's heart. Um, you know, Ernest was a fantastic, I mean, just a fantastic dynamic, uh, you know, high school player mm-hmm. and Temple was lucky to, uh, uh, to, to get him. I do think that that year that he sat out, it, it you know, it, there's, it can't help, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, academically or, you know, if you want to say that you, you can, you know, study and, and work on your grades, so, you know, that's, that's fine. And th- there's an argument there, I guess, but, um, uh, is the sitting out athletically, although you can, you know, you can practice, it's just really not the same, you know, you're not, you're not traveling with the team, hey, you're, away from um, the team. You know, you're just at practice. Um, it, it, I think, I think that really, you know, that really hurt him, um, as well as probably many others that were in Ernest's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and he, the following year, he, you know, he, the, you know, the, the three years that he was eligible, you know, while he, he wasn't, um, like you said, he wasn't the focal point of the team and he didn't have, you know, uh, numbers that stood out. He was, um, you know, he was an integral part of, of our success. Um, you know, doing anything that coach Cheney would ask him to do. Um, you know, by the time he was a senior, he was a starter. Uh, and you know, he, uh, he knew his role and he, and he did it quite well. Mike, we, we've talked about this before too. And again, anybody who follows you on Twitter knows this and, and, you know, follows some of the stuff that you drop in on the Facebook page knows this too. You've just been great in, in doing a lot to keep the former players together. You've hosted them at your house and, and, uh, and just, you know, have a, have a real, real appreciation for not just like the time that you spent in the program, but the history of the program as, as a whole, who are some of the other guys that, like on this list of, of people that we drafted, like guys that, that really stand out to you guys that you've had either great stories with or interacted with that maybe guys from different generations that, that you didn't get a chance to play with, but you formed a bond with. Yeah. So, um, the, our, our team, uh, when I say our team, I mean that the, the teams from, you know, from 85 through, through 89, you know, give, give or take a year in either direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're very, very close. And while I helped to, to keep us close, I, you know, I really can't take, um, you know, the, the credit for, uh, you know, for initiating it. Darren Pearsall is really the glue for, uh, you know, for the closeness of our teams. Um, you know, we, we are on to this day, uh, there's, we have a a group text, uh, Mm -hmm. that we have approximately, I think there's, 18 of us mm-hmm. that are on that text. We communicate each and every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you know, the, 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 the next group that kind of came in after that, mm-hmm. um, which is like the Aaron McKees and the uh, Brunson and, um, you know, Eddie, Eddie Jones and Lynn Greer and uh, Broken Bra and, and uh, uh, LeVon Alston. I mean, that group is, is also pretty close. And, you know, our group and their group, you know, we, we do, at, you know, from time to time, do things together with Mark Jackson and, and the like. Um, you know, I think the group after that, which, you know, now we'd be getting up into the, um, you know, into the donkey years. You know, I, I, I don't 
I don't feel that there's um, much much closeness there for for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it's important um, to have that uh, family kind of atmosphere because you know we all have that one thing in common where you know we 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 played at Temple and you know Coach Cheney said it best. You know, Temple isn't for everybody. Um, yeah. You know, it's not it's not uh, cake and ice cream. I think he said, or <laughs> you know, something like that. So, you know, regardless of the ta- of the era, uh, that statement holds true. Temple really, you know, isn't for everybody. Inner city school, um, y- you know. Uh, so we we have that that bond. We have that connection. And a couple years ago, I put it out. Uh, I, I I wanted to have an all years reunion. Uh, this was prior to COVID, um, and I got a tremendous turnout. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we had close to 40 or 45 former players from Mm -hmm. many different, um, eras, even, even John, uh, you know, the Casey eras, even going back, uh, you know, John Baum was there for example. So Mm -hmm. we had, uh, you know, 40, 45 players that spanned all the eras. I wanted to make that an annual thing. And then of course the pandemic hit and, uh, you know, I, I do want to, I do want to ramp that up again and, um, you know, start that, uh, you know, as an annual thing, if, if possible, uh, you know, if we can ever, you know, kind of get past, uh, some of the, the things going on with the, with the pandemic. And this was at your house. You had this. I did. Yeah. I had it at my house. I have a decent sized backyard, uh, where we kind of all, hung out. I, there's some really nice pictures that, um, you know, that was put out there on Facebook, uh, with the entire group, uh, all sitting together. Um, I could probably go find it if I, if I, if I looked, um, but it was, yeah, it was just a, a great day. Um, a lot of stories were told and, you know, uh, you know, it's something that I, I really looking forward to doing again. I wonder what that's this is like for your family and like for your son Jack who plays in college now at, at TCNJ. Like I'm, I'm sure he's heard a lot about your career, and if he doesn't hear about it, someone else is going to remind him about it. And then all of a sudden, you have this influx of all these people that were important to your life and important to the program. What like what what was it like for him? What's it like for your family to have all these people come in and they're just sharing these stories that I'm, I'm sure there's not a dull story among any that were told that day. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. You know, my, my kids, um, you know, my, my son, Jack 20 and my daughter's is 22. She's a good volleyball uh, player, right? Am I making that up? Or wasn't she a good volleyball yeah. player? No, she was, uh, she's one of the all time best at uh, Westchester university. Yeah. Um, she just graduated. So, you know, they, it's almost like, you know, you, you see those pictures of uh, a young, you know, Seth Curry or a young, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, hanging around uh, professional athletes from a young age because of the position that their, their father was in it. Well, you know, while I wasn't at that level, you know, my kids from the youngest age, we're always around these, you know, my former teammates as well as coach Cheney, you know, I would, you know, bring Jack and Julia to temple games from, you know, from when they were five, five years old, basically. And, you know, 
coach always had time for them and my teammates always had time for them. So, you know, it's, it's, they've, they've just been around that, um, for them. They're, they're not in, they're not in all of that because they, you know, they, they feel like they've, they're almost part of the family as well. So, um, and vice versa, by the way, you know, my, my teammates, uh, they, you know, they, they take an interest in what, what my kids are doing, just like I take an interest in what their kids are doing. And, um, you know, anytime that we're all in the same company, um, it's, you know, it, it's like they've known each other forever. And in fact, they have. I asked what last week we had Deontay Christmas on for our podcast. And again, as part of this ongoing series that we're doing, and I just asked him a simple question. I said, what, what made you such a great shooter? And we've talked about this before. Again, you've been so kind with your time over the past 10 plus years and talking to us. And for people who haven't heard you talk about this before, how did you just learn? How did you learn to shoot the basketball the way you did? Well, uh, a lot of people don't realize this. Um, and a lot, and a lot of people uh, would might tend to disagree for some reason, even though that I'm, I'm telling them from my personal experience, but I did not grow up with a three point line. Right. Um, it's, you know, three point line is, is such a part of basketball. Now, uh, so many people don't realize that at one point there was no three point line. So, yeah. um, my, my youth all throughout my youth, all throughout high school. And in fact, my very, my freshman year in college, there was no three point line. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody remembers me as a three point shooter and that's fine. Um, I personally don't like to be labeled as a three point shooter. I think my stats uh, prove that I actually mm-hmm. had as many two point baskets as yeah. I had three point baskets. Um, my be- the best part of my game. Um, and those that know me the best will say the same thing, but the best part of my game was, uh, was the mid range game, yeah. which is basically a lost art now. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I, I, uh, I had one, two dribble pull up that was, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, quite, uh, deadly. Let's, let's say, you know, I had a lot of success, uh, with, with that mid range one, two dribble pull up, but yeah. you know, growing up, I, I always, you know, I always had the ability to shoot. Um, I wanted to be perfect, you know, uh, from five feet and, and, uh, I, you know, maybe I have a touch of OCD or, or whatever, but, you know, when I felt comfortable and, you know, my body felt good and my follow through felt good and I was um, making shots from five feet then I would step out one step and I wanted it to be perfect from eight feet. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing. And then I wanted to be perfect from, from the foul line. And then I want, you know, I just continued to, expand my range, uh, regardless that there was no three point line. And, um, and then I, I was, I was, you know, I, I strive to be perfect. You never can be, but, um, you know, I would step out to 13 feet and then I would step out to, uh, you know, 17 and, you know, the three point line was 20 feet, let's say, um, uh, you know, and I, I, I had the ability to shoot from even beyond that, uh, area and then you know as a sophomore they decided to put a three-point line in i was already shooting from there anyway yeah um but i i never it never really affected uh you know my my mid-range game mm-hmm. and 
Um, and I'm, pr- I'm proud of the fact that, you know, when people say that all I did was shoot three pointers, uh, I, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I can actually point to the numbers that are black and white where I had just as many two point makes as I did three point makes. Yeah, even though you had the you had the Threeswick nickname. Yeah, you know, everybody loves, you know, <laughs> you know, the chicks dig the long ball type thing, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's like Kyle Schwarber, you know, he he's hit he hit thirty five he's got thirty five home runs, but he's batting like two oh five. Yeah. And you would never know he's batting two oh five, you know, because because of the you know, the thirty five home runs. You know, the three point shot stands out, obviously. It's it's worth an extra point, gets the crowd excited. Um, you know, there's definitely an advantage uh, for your team if you can get an extra point. Um, so, yeah, I guess it does stand out. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is I actually had an even amount of two-pointers as I did three-pointers. This might sound like a simple question, too, Mike. Do you admit at the time when you went from your freshman year to sophomore year and then the three-point line becomes part of the game, what, what – were there any additional conversations in terms of what, what the staff was strategy, like making it more part of the offense or was it kind of just like, all right, this is what it is. It's, it's an opportunity for us to get an extra point. What was it like to be part of the game, part of the college game when that came into it? You know, it's a great question. And, um, um, you know, my memory, uh, you know, the way I recollect it, Cheney never really made it, um, point or focal point, or we never did anything different just because of that line was there. Um, you know, we, we might've done things differently defensively mm-hmm. and, you know, the coach was a defensive first coach. So, you know, if we were playing an opponent who had capable three point shooters, you know, we would adjust accordingly on the defensive side, but offensively we did, we never did anything different. Um, uh, you know, we, it was, you know, coaches offense is, is uh, ball control, um, you know, limit turnovers, uh, you know, a shot, any type of shot is better than a turnover. Yeah. Coaches, uh, you know, coaches teams are always guard centric, um, you know, three guard offense. And he, you know, coach Cheney always, always had guards that could shoot, um, you know, going back to his first recruit, Nate Blackwell, mm-hmm. tremendous, you know, just an absolute tremendous shooter. Howie Evans, tremendous shooter. Um, you know, I came in, I could shoot, um, you know, guys after me, Eddie Jones, Aaron McKee, shooters, of course, Lynn Greer, shooter. So he's, you know, he's always had shooters. I don't think he ever did anything different because of the three-point line, but the fact of the matter is, you know, based on the skill set of his guards, you know, it, it, uh, you know, it was definitely a weapon. Uh, it's been Mike, it's been 17 months now or so since, since coach Cheney passed and I'm sure it's nothing you ever get over. I imagine it's just, maybe you hope that things maybe get a little bit easier with time. And again, you uh, as, as well as anybody in the history of the program have been great in just sharing memories and processing it all and providing context for people. And again, just the stuff that you drop in on Twitter, it's great. It's required reading again, probably too not enough time in a, in a podcast or an interview to talk about it, but 17 months removed from it. Are there any, are there any like new memories that come through your mind where you think, Oh my God, I forgot about that or something else that kind of jogs your memory. What's it like now for you? Yeah. Um, every once in a while I'll, 
um, I'll remember some things. Um, you know, it puts a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, as, as you said, you know, I, I try to keep the stories alive. Um, you know, this was a, this was a time when, you know, it was pre, well, basically it was almost pre-internet. Yeah. Uh, so you certainly didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there was no way to, to tell these stories at the time. Uh, the only way to tell them was after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I spent, I spent the entire decade of the nineties, uh, playing professionally in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I missed that part of, of coaches and the temple teams. When I say miss, you know, I just, I wasn't able to be around. I wasn't able to attend games. Um, I would, you know, I would be able to kind of keep up with what they're doing through, uh, you know, through conversations with my family or, you know, every once in a while, I, you know, you could get the USA today over there and you could read a little bit about them. But, um, uh, you know, it was at that time when I was overseas, I had, you know, a lot of downtime that I started jotting down my memories. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, not only temple memories, but just basketball memories in general, going back to, you know, some memories I had in high school, uh, temple memories, and then, you know, some, some memorable moments from my time overseas. Um, you know, I started writing some of these short stories and one thing led to another and I actually ended up, uh, putting it all together. Um, I did something on Facebook many years ago called, um, you know, Monday's random memory. Mm -hmm. I did it every, every Monday for one, one whole year. And, um, I got such great responses from it. Um, people were looking forward to the Monday and reading, reading my memory. Most of them, you know, most of them were about temple. Mm-hmm. Um, that I ended up, you know, compiling all that and putting it in a, well, in a, in a, in a word document. And so I have like a, a 50 page, uh, memoir book, so to speak that I always, um, you know, refer to, sometimes I add some things, um, you know, and, but I I think it's important now that we do have social media. Um, I think it's important to spread the word, uh, about some of coaches philosophies, you know, some of the things he used to do because he was ahead of his time. And, you know, I, I don't know with, you know, with, with when it was happening for him, you know, in the age of, really only had word of mouth or, or newspaper articles. Yeah. I I do think it's important to keep some of the memories and some of the stories alive. So the next generation of coach fan, whoever um, gets an opportunity to kind of experience some of the same things I did. Absolutely. This this actually leads us well into uh, we got a mailbag question on our message board. This is a screen name. The screen name is Joe Becca. Question is, Mike, you've shared many wonderful stories about your life experiences over the years from the obvious many, many change stories to the, the less obvious learning about responsibility from your mom. The stories are good and you're a terrific writer. So my question is, when are you writing your book on Cheney basketball and life lessons learned? <laughs> you know, I, I do get that. A lot. I get that question uh, a, a lot, and um, you know, truth truth be told, that that uh, 
that little memoir that I just mentioned, I did actually send that into one publisher just for the, you know, just for the heck of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it did come back um, rejected. Mm. Uh, you know, and it, I know that happens. You know, some of the some of the um, uh, New York Times best-selling authors get stuff rejected, so mm-hmm. that's no big deal. I, you know, I I do I do enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I you know I I can I I think I can um, uh, help tell a story to a point where people can visualize. But you know, I'm mm-hmm. not a professional writer, uh, so maybe I just need. Uh, I need somebody to kind of fine tune it. Um, you know, I'm sure there was probably a bunch of stories that nobody really cared about. The people love the Cheney stories, but maybe, maybe I need to get rid of some of the other ones. Ah, I'm sure. It'll be, I'm sure it would be a good read. So Javon, one of the things that Mike said was, uh, you know, I asked him to kind of break down the draft and he said, you know, I was just, you know, happy and humble to, to be included. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, you heard him say, you know, down, down the stretch there, there were some, there were some guys that were drafted in the, in the, in the late rounds, some of the names that I didn't get. And I was, yeah, it got, you know, that's where some of us were struggling. I didn't feel like I was struggling. I think you would have had a great draft. Caden was openly telling us like, man, this is getting hard. <laughs> I did not have my board going this, this deep and this far. And, uh, but we had, like I said, we had a, we had a great time with it. And I really want to, uh, thank Mike for his time. And uh, again, it's always good to, to catch up with him because he, again, uh, as much as any player in the history of the program really has some, some great perspective on things. And of course, football season is coming up. Uh, like we said, before we started talking about Mike Vrieswick, Javon and I have visions of, of eating crab cakes at eight 30 in the morning on our way down to Duke, but <laughs> Javon stopped me on that. Maybe we'll save that for the, the Navy game. But um not too far away from that September 2nd season opener at Duke, two rebuilding programs with two new head coaches uh, at Temple and Duke. And Temple scrimmaged for the first time on Saturday. And again, uh, it, we don't see much of anything at all. Uh, so we're kind of left to asking the coaches and asking questions during media availability on Monday Sam Cohn was there for us. Sam is Sam's still going to be doing the pod with us at Al Scoop. He's going to be covering Penn State for the Inquirer as he moves along in his career. But, um, you know, Sam was one of the reporters there to, to ask Stan Drayton about that first scrimmage. And, you know, again, I, I think I said this last week, there are times where Stan will let us, let us guard down a little bit. And then there are other times where he kind of, I think sometimes he's, he gets into this pattern of like maybe saying that one guy's pulling ahead in a position battle, but he'll, say, but you know, everybody in that room's doing well. You know, we talked in generalities, like there was great energy, great effort. Everybody got better signs of a team that's progressing and that both teams kind of took their turn, took, took their turns doing well. Defense had a couple of sacks that would have really been game day sacks was one of the things he said, the offense at times moved the ball really, really well. At one point he said, we're right on schedule or physical on both sides of the football, you know, and then, asking, you know, when he was asked about the quarterbacks on Dewan Mathis and Quincy Patterson, he said at times they were solid as rock at times they weren't, they're still learning how to become consistent and poised under pressure. And then he goes on to say, I can't just talk about those two. He mentioned DJ Warner's true freshman and Mariano Valente called it a real competition. Although I think we can all say that would be totally floored and totally shocked if EJ Warner or Mariano Valente is the starter in the first, uh, first week of the season. Um, 
And there are a few other things we'll get to in a, in a few minutes here. Um, but we'll talk about the, the single digits. That was something that was revealed on Monday night. Uh, on Friday, Stan Drayton said that the single digit announcements are coming soon. And as I wrote the other day, soon became Monday. And uh, we'll go right into a mailbag question here from Park Al is the screen name from our, you know, one of our alscoop.com subscribers on the message board. Park Al's question is biggest surprise inclusion and exclusion from the single digiters. Um, Javon, I've got my names here. We're probably, I would imagine on the same page, but biggest surprise inclusion and exclusion in, in your opinion. So exclusion, Kevin Ruiz, I thought for sure was going to be one. Uh, and that turned out not to be the case. So I, I think that'd be my biggest exclusion. I'll also throw in the note. If you have a program that makes the single digit something that you have to earn through leadership and ability, the way football is played now and viewed now, you're asking questions if your starting quarterback doesn't have a single digit, you know, like mm -hmm. as much responsibility and burden and credit and blame all at the same time are placed on the quarterback position these days. It's something to look out for if your quarterback doesn't have a single digit, but Stan Drayton doesn't even have his starting quarterback yet. So yeah. it's not that much to read into, but it's always an interesting tidbit whenever you have a program like that. I wasn't so much, and I know this wasn't quite what you were saying, like, um, um, you know, you're right in an ideal world or even a, um, I don't know how, how you'd really say it. Yeah. If the temple would probably be two steps ahead of things, if Dewan Mathis had distinguished himself right out of the gate, Dewan's a single digit guy. Am I surprised? No, because I think Stan, you know, again, from the, the day he was announced, you know, he was asked about Dewan going back to last December. And he said, you know, yeah, happy to coach him. And again, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, he did kind of dip his toe back into thinking about entering the portal. We got to think about why that is. You know, he came here through the portal. He was about to leave in the portal again. Yeah, he said, we've got to make it to the point where, and I quote, the portal isn't even a, a thought. Yeah. Yep. And so, I mean, I would have been mildly surprised. And I don't even really mean this as a knock on Duan. I would have been mildly surprised if he became a single digit guy, because I think that the staff was pretty open and honest about saying, Hey, we like him. We want to develop him, but he is a new quarterback, not necessarily a new quarterback in college football, but a guy who is yet again, playing for another head coach, learning another offense, learning another offense under a new offensive coordinator and Danny Langsdorf. And, and uh, after being with Rod Carey and his staff, last year, I think it was a little bit more damning and not, that sounds dramatic, but like a little bit more surprising and a little bit more of like asking questions when a guy like Anthony Russo wasn't a single digit guy, you know, PJ Walker, when he was here was a single digit guy, war number eight and, you know, nobody's perfect, but PJ was respected in the locker room and maybe PJ never becomes a full-time starter in the NFL, but you can see the traits and you can see the arm strength that make him you know, people can say all they want. Oh, well, he's only in the NFL because he's playing for Matt Rule, but still gets into a preseason game and he's gotten into some regular season games and he has an looked decent line. in those regular season yeah, games. Sure. Yeah. Not perfect. And again, he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna start over, you know, he's not gonna start in Carolina unless there are injuries, but um, but he's a guy that was 
a very respected leader here. Um, be a great story if if Dewan comes out of the gate and they beat Duke, they beat Lafayette, they beat Rutgers homecoming, um, then they beat UMass and they're four and zero and they're rolling heading into conference play. And Dewan is like. 12 touchdowns, one interception, and, and the coaches are raving about them. And, you know, again, there, there are, um, we should note that there are still some, some numbers that can be filled at this point. Um, so again, just, just to review, Adam Klein, Isaac Moore were awarded numbers two and four. They'll continue to wear number 74 and 63 because the NCAA doesn't allow offensive linemen to wear anything through 50 through 79. Adonica Sanders is going to wear number four. Jordan McGee is going to wear number six, Jalen Murray, who I think was one of the biggest surprises. And again, I mean, tip of the cap to Jalen McMurray played in four games last year. And Jules Martinaro loves him. He, yep. he loves him. Yep. As second year freshman. Um, and he's going to wear number seven. Darian Varner is going to wear number nine. Um, so, but again, the number zero, sometimes we forget that zero can be a number zero, one, three, and eight are still available. So, who knows if they come out rolling and they go four and zero, and Dewan Mathis is dealing and playing really well, and they decide at some point that they're going to award number eight to Dewan Mathis, then that's a hell of a story to him, um, for him. Uh, so, I think yeah. there are two guys we almost forgot to mention yeah. as exclusions: uh, David Martin Robinson. Yep. I think we'll both agree on he would be and my next personally. Yeah, yeah it, 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 he might get one, and then I think. Jordan Smith is a guy to look out for. Either him, Ahmad Anderson, or Jose Barbone, one of those pass catchers from last season that was that were heavily involved coming back this year. I think one of those three um, are an option to get one of those last single-digit numbers. Yeah, yeah. And again, well, actually, what makes you say, I know they like Jordan Smith. What makes you say Jordan Smith? I think when you look at how productive he was last year and you listen to Jafar Williams, who was a receivers coach, Right, mm-hmm. talk about Jordan Smith. Like the the guy, he's pretty helpful to both groups of guys. He's pretty helpful to the tight ends, and he's pretty helpful to the receivers as far as mentoring and uh, you know helping them be in the right spot to win the offense. And then production wise, like I said, pretty good tight end, pretty good receiving tight end last season. So I think he's one of those wild cards to look out for to potentially get a single digit if they're still going to hand them out as the season progresses. And Adonica Sanders. Again, we should know, and I literally can't remember if we said this five or ten minutes ago. So they've they have decided single digits in a number of different ways since Al Golden started this tradition. Steve Adazio was the only coach who just didn't engage with it. Some people think that Rod Carey didn't engage with it. He did, but last year his thing was essentially, yeah, we just weren't quite sure if anybody was really worthy of it, and we didn't want to award single digits just to award single digits. And it sounded like he had the support of the, of the leadership council there who really honestly knows. But in this case, this time around, I, you know, I asked Stan last week, are you guys still deciding is it still like a joint venture, uh, excuse me, joint venture um, or joint decision between the coaches and the players? And he said, no, it's just going to be the coaches deciding it this year. I think the, the, the guys have kind of, lost touch a little bit with what it really means to be a single digit. So we're going to have the coaches decide on it. So, you know, there, I would imagine that there maybe are a couple of guys on the cusp, maybe like a David Martin Robinson, or maybe it is a Cameron Ruiz where the coaches are saying, Hey, we really, really want to set 
a high standard and maybe who knows, maybe they're having conversations with guys and like, Hey, you're this close, but who knows what it's like if they're saying like, Hey, you know, we expect you to be a half hour early for lifting and not five minutes early for lifting. Maybe they are really, really, really putting them through the ringer. But I mean, props to a guy like, again, like Jalen McMurray, uh, I think Adonica Sanders is kind of another reminder, like you can be a transfer and come in. You can be like a Rocky Austin who came in, you know, transferred in, transferred up a level, earns a single digit, eventually goes on to the NFL. I'm not totally shocked on Adonica Sanders. It's just every time his name came up, you know, Stan Drayton's eyes would light up a little bit. And then, you know, right before the announcements came out Monday night, Stan was asked about him and he said, this was his quote. He's got it. He's a real guy. Sam asked him about Donica Sanders. I mean, he's a tough nut comes to work every single day. I love the way he catches, catches a tough ball. People are pulling his Jersey off and he finds a way to catch the football. I mean, he's a temple tough guy. And I heard that. I didn't know for sure that they were going to be announcing the single digits Monday night, but I thought eh, at this point, I won't be, uh, won't be totally surprised there. Um, but would he be, I don't know who, any surprise in inclusions here? Would he, would you put him in there or is it more Jalen McMurray? Um, I wouldn't call either one of them. Well, McMurray, I guess mm-hmm. I'd call a surprise because, uh, you, you'd hear all the things of like the guy's probably never gotten to be in his life in the classroom. He's yeah. always early to the facility lifting and putting in his own work and studying film. So, you know, the personality treats fit for McMurray. It's just uh, on my projected depth chart to start the season. I didn't think he'd be over a guy like Dom Hill uh, or, or Iris and Clement in that room. So, mm-hmm. You can probably say, as of right now, he's the third cornerback on the depth chart. I think that's going to be my biggest surprise. But Adonica Sanders, uh, I was fully expecting him to be one of those guys that the coaching staff liked, uh, a wide receiver coming up from a Power 5 program. And and they needed a premier pass catcher in that room. Uh, And if he pans out to be as good as I believe the coaching staff thinks he is, we know Temple fans. You're going to hear a lot of now. Imagine if uh, Rod Carey's staff didn't prompt Jaden Blue to transfer out or something like that. The, the way the fan base gets. Uh, so it, it'll be an interesting season watching Adonica Sanders. Yeah, I mean, um, when he transferred, when he ended up transferring to Temple, you know, Kyle had uh, talked to Kelly Quinlan, who covers you know covers Georgia Tech for Jackets Online and the and the rivals in Yahoo Network and. And I can't remember Kelly's exact quote, but Kelly told essentially told Kyle, like, yeah, they got a good player. You know, the consensus was that, hey, that was a probably, you know, maybe their best ad in the in the transfer portal. And we would just hear good things about him. And then again, the, the coaches continued to continue to rave about him. I thought that maybe again, this is all supposition on our part. We're not in these in these meetings. We can ask questions all we want. I thought maybe. Wisdom course, he might, might be a guy, you know, they talked about him as uh, in, in general, they've talked about him, you know, making progress on the field, off the field, a guy who, um, guy who would intern, they talked about how good he's been uh, outside the classroom as an intern. They had also, I think, selected him to attend the black student athlete summit in Houston. And it just seems like a guy who is really well-respected and really has his act together off the field too. And I thought, I hey, wouldn't be surprised 
if Wiz is a guy too, but maybe again, guessing on my part, but, uh, and this is something we'll get to in a second here. Um, I think Chris Wiesahan, as much as he talks about cross-training his guys in the offensive line, I asked him last week, is Wiz the guy at center? And he kind of stopped short of it. So again, I wonder if Wiz is another guy, you know, maybe like Dewan, they go out and start off 4-0 and or 3-1. and There are no fumbled exchanges at, you know, between, you know, between him, if he's starting between him and and, um, and Dewan Mathis, maybe they say, yep, he's a single digit guy. So I thought maybe it's a slight surprise that he got left out there, but again, props to Jalen McMurray. I mean, he's a guy that you'd, you know, again, Cameron Wees and, and Keyshawn Paul are going to be done after this season. You need more than two cornerbacks this season alone. So if McMurray's that third guy, that's good for them. And, you know, maybe David Martin Robinson and Wiz and Wiz are guys that are that are coming up. But, you know, again, if I were Stan Drayton, I think I'd said this before. If you're coming in and you're a brand new guy and you've coached Texas, you've coached it, it you've spent some time in the NFL, you've coached Ohio State. Part of me doesn't blame him for saying, like, yeah, I'm gonna make sure I set a really, really high standard before we start giving out single digits. So yeah, he's been at the, the highest of high levels. So yeah. So again, they, they said in the release that they put out Monday that some additional players could be added at later dates. When we'll find out, uh, we'll see when that is, you know, there's more media availability coming up. Stan Drayton is going to have uh, his starting this coming Monday. Uh, that's going to be the first of his next several weekly Monday press conferences at noon. So we'll ask about that. Um, just talked about this a few seconds ago. Um, a few other things to kind of check off the list here, things that I'm kind of curious about. And I want to run this by you as well, Javon. Um, again, with a couple of weeks left before that opener at Duke, um, things that I'm kind of looking at, things are on my mind. I'm, I'm really curious about the center position. Again, I thought that it was interesting that Chris Wiesahan still seemed a tad uncertain about center when I asked him about Wiz. And I said, is that the, you know, is, is, is Wiz the guy there? And this is what Chris Wiesahan said. Is Wiz still the guy kind of leading the competition at center, or is that still a little bit more? It's all wide open. It's all wide open. Who Let's else see. is in there with him? Kind of. Uh, I have, probably have Wiz. I have Thoman. I have Klein that I could put in there. Uh, obviously, I have Richrod. So I'm going to keep that fluid. I have to make hard decisions. So, again, he stops short. Not that, you know, I think, you know, I'm not saying that Chris Wiesahan isn't a guy that won't, give credit where credit's due. He'll rave about some of the guys he's coached, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like a Deion Dawkins and so on and so forth, but stopped a little short because he said, you know, that I, I, you know, that, that snap, that's the most important thing there. Um, and then I asked him if, if, uh, if it would be ideal to have Adam Klein settle in at right tackle, he said this. I mean, I know you talk about being able to move guys around a lot, but is your hope that you can, keep Adam at right tackle and really let him settle in there and have somebody else kind of take over at center? Is that not how you really think? You'd like it? to have that stability on the edge, communication with the quarterback, right? He does, those two have did a really good job. And I'm talking about Adam and Isaac as freshmen mm -hmm. that played in a lot of games that, that uh, really helped us protection-wise, and they're helping our quarterback now, but at the same time, the snap's really important. Mm -hmm. So you better have a guy who can do that because he starts to play. So, again, I think I don't think any of us would be totally surprised if if – you know, first play of the game for what it's worth. If Wisdom Quash is the starting center, Adam Klein's a starting right tackle. Um, but 
if they see any uncertainty there, I wouldn't be totally surprised if, if we says, nope, we got to move Adam over. When Sam asked, when Sam Cohn asked Adam Klein on Monday, if he was settled in there, you know, Adam said, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I'm taking some excerpts from that conversation. He say, I'd say most of my time has been right tech on fall camp. I feel comfortable there. I know, I know coach Weez likes me there, but we do a lot of cross training. So I'll always be ready. If he needs me at center, my name's called. And then Sam said, as of now, Adam Klein is the right tackle. And he said, yes. So um, I think you're probably looking at a situation where he's at right tackle and Wisdom Quartz, she's at center. But they've talked about Bryce Stoneman coming along too. Um, so we'll see. Thought that was interesting. At running back, how do you, I, I mean, I have my thoughts on this, Javon, but, and we talked about this a little bit last week. What are your thoughts on how the running back position is, is shaping up? I'm honestly... Every time I've tried to guess with that position since the spring, I've been wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, don't take my money to the bank. Um, <laughs> I thought once Hubbard transferred in, it was going to be him and Clement. Then Clement gets moved to defensive back. So at that point, I thought it'd be the Hubbard show and maybe Ed Stady could steal some catches in but not catch some touches. And then you hear that Trey Blair is still a guy that they like. Mm-hmm. And then Jakari Norwood transfers in from Illinois. I, I think it's um pretty clear when, when Drayton says he still wants more out of his running backs, like he means it because everyone's getting an opportunity to log some snaps back there. So, mm-hmm. and, and I thought Hubbard would be the runaway guy. Stan just won't say it. So, I yeah. mean, right now, I, I guess it might be a three-headed monster with Hubbard, Sadie, and Norwood. But mm-hmm. like I said, don't don't take it to the bank because I haven't guessed a single thing right about that room. I can't I can't get a good read on the coaching staff on it. Yeah, and it looked like Trey Blair scored a touchdown in the scrimmage. Again, it didn't look like they were necessarily tackling to the ground, but I mean that was one of the plays that they chose to put out on video there and, and Trey's got some ability. There's part of me that still thinks that it's Darvon Harvard and Ed Sadie and then everyone else. But then I don't know, Stan, Stan just seems to light up when he talks about Jakari Norwood. And, and again, here's a guy who rushed for less than 250 yards in his career at Illinois. He's a guy from Florida. And I, I still feel like Stan is just holding out for something big there. And you know, again, he was asked about him on Monday and he said, I'll tell you what, in his first opportunity to play in a full scrimmage, he was very physical. Again, these are just I'm paraphrasing here with, through some excerpts, you know, pleasantly surprised at how tough he was on contact. He's a man on a mission. He's very businesslike. He's very serious. And then he kind of dials it back and he says he doesn't have the full plate, doesn't have the full plate of every play in the playbook, but he fits the personality of that room. And, you know, so I feel like, I kind of read it like he he's really hoping for like that home run threat in him. And again, be a hell of a story for a temple and their coaching staff, right? You know, you, you look smart by taking a guy out of the portal, a Florida guy who had played in the big 10, but it kind of played sparingly and just needed the right opportunity. And um, it does seem to be a little wide open. Uh, but I, I just think that's kind of interesting to, to, to follow. And again, I, I don't know that, any coach will come out and say, Oh, Darvon Harvard's our guy. Everyone else is like significantly behind them. But um, this is all the stuff I think that's going to be sorted out in the non-conference schedule. And then you look at the pass rush. I, you know, again, that, that, that pass rush, Antoine Smith, it was 
animated as always, you know, he was, he was kind of funny and kind of comical and spring ball had the chance to talk to him Friday and he was pretty amped up and, you know, was like, Hey, nobody has experience until I coach him. He was pretty, you know, had a couple of, you know, quotable moments where he, you know, he said, Hey, this team was 119th in sacks last year. And they were, I think they were 114th actually, but he's like, and I will not be part of that. And good for him for saying that because they were abysmal at getting to the quarterback last year. And again, we know that that sack leader, that potential sack leader does not have to be a defensive lineman. It could be one of those overhang guys as an outside linebacker. And, and, and Antoine talked about how he's going to be working with those guys too. But I think Darian Varner is a really interesting guy too. He's kind of been one of those it guys in, I don't want to say necessarily the spring, but I think like really ever since August has come around, people have been talking about him more um, like a Zach Gill, you know, even though Zach Gill didn't play last year, Zach Gill, Zach Gill, Zach Gill, everybody likes Zach Gill. He's a great leader. And then you start hearing about Darian Varner. He shed 20 pounds. They're moving him outside. And here's a real interesting situation for him. He, he led the team in sacks last year, but he had three sacks and I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but now you're a single digit guy and you, I don't know how Darian Varner's mind works, but the single digit thing is a cool tradition. And that, like that number nine brings some significance. Wearing that number nine is a serious thing. You have several Temple football players who have worn that number nine who have either gone to the NFL or once in the NFL or still in the NFL. Muhammad Wilkerson, not in the NFL anymore, but was a late first round pick. Still had a decent career. Jacob Martin, still in the NFL with the Jets. Matt Ioannidis, still in the NFL with the Panthers. Michael Dogby, still in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals. Quincy Roche, still in the NFL with the Giants, right? With the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. Him, Ojulari, and Thibodeau yeah. are competing to be that three-man edge rush rotation. Yeah. So that's a big deal to get that number nine, you know? And um, again, we haven't talked to him since since the single digits were awarded, he was one of the guys that was made available on Monday. But again, we didn't know at that point. Um, so I don't know if that's half again, I'm sure he's earned it. Half. I wonder if part of that is like, Hey, we really like you. And now, and again, I don't know how it works if they got to choose their numbers or if they said you're wearing number nine, but a little bit of healthy amount of pressure with that number. Right. Yeah. That's like, um, you know, playing for the Cowboys and they tell you you're wearing 88, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, being a big man in the NBA period and you're mm -hmm. wearing 33, like, yeah. or 23. Like, that's just, some numbers come with pressure. You can't wear the number three in a lot of sports mm -hmm. without being ready to bring it. So, you know, with Temple, like you said, that number nine, especially for, uh, you know, a defensive player, you got to bring it. You got to bring your lunch with you every day. Wilkerson, Roche, like those are two, you think of Temple Edge Rush, those are two of the first names that come to mind. Dogby, you know, Jacob Martin, like that number nine comes with some real expectations. So you'll really see the mental fortitude of Darian Varner this season. Uh, and, and we'll see if that number nine either makes him, you know, live up to the pressure or fold under it. Yeah, because they are looking for that next great edge rusher. I mean, not that they wouldn't take like, hey, if, if – Zach Gill. I don't know if Zach Gill's this guy. If like they had a an interior guy who end, uh, ends up getting eight or nine sacks, they'll take it. But they do need that next that next guy. Who's their next? I mean, their last greatest pass rusher was Arnold Ebicetti. They really didn't have that last year with Arnold at, at Penn State off through the transfer portal. So 
that'll be another interesting thing to watch. Javon, before we close things out, and again, there's still time, got a couple of weeks before the opener, as we're getting a little closer, a little closer, where's your head at with this team? A little bit, you know, sometimes when Kyle's on, he'll say, I'm skewing negative, I'm skewing positive. Heading toward the opener, are you skewing negative where you're like, this is a huge rebuild? I know Duke's a rebuild, but I think they're losing by a couple touchdowns in this game. Are you start, starting to kind of skew like, eh, maybe they got their act together? I think heading into Navy, they're three and three team, right? Um, not, yeah, three and three team, three and four, excuse me, three and four mm-hmm. team. And then if Drayton, I, I said Navy and USF are two back to back games, that's going to be the two game cluster of this season that will make or break the fan approval rating of Stan Drayton. If he can win those two, the team is guaranteed five wins in my eyes. You go from to last season and the year before to five seasons in your first, you know, your first year, and you consider the recruits he's landed already and the transfers he's landed, he'll have the full backing of the fan base. So I'm 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 in that five win range. The most will be six if they can still win against ECU in the last game of the season. And it helps that that game is at home. The problem is I wouldn't be shocked if their confidence is gone by that game because before that, there's Houston and Cincinnati back-to-back mm-hmm. yeah. by far. The two best teams in the conference, and they're ranked 23 and 24 mm-hmm. in the AP poll. So five wins, I think, is where I'm at with them, possibly six. So they're rebuilding, but it's not – in awful rebuild so if they're three and four heading into into navy on october 29th the end of october where are the three wins coming from how do you how do you see that breaking out so three and four going into the navy game would be a win against lafayette a win against umass Mm -hmm. and a win against either memphis or duke if they can win both of those then Mm -hmm. i'll guarantee a 500 record but Mm -hmm. i think if I were a betting man, I'd say lose the opener at Duke. Um, and then Memphis, they have a good history with Memphis. Um, and that game is a chance to go into the bye week over 500. So I think history would compel me to choose them to win that Memphis game. Then, like I said, Navy and USF have to be wins, and you see what they can do against East Carolina. Yeah, I think I, I'll give Stan a lot of credit if they can go down – and beat Duke in the season opener. Again, Mike Elko's got his hands full down there. He's definitely rebuilding. They're looking at a lot of the same things. Who's our quarterback? Who's our, you know, really, who's our impact guy at every position? And it's not the most accurate comparison because this is, you know, this is the first year of Stan Drayton's tenure, whereas, um, Oh God, I think it, I can't remember if it was the second year or the third year off the top of my head where, where Matt rule goes down and they win at Vanderbilt against a lower tier sec team, but they still go on the road and beat an sec team. So they'll show me something if they go down there with all the question marks, they have all the new install they've done and they go down and, and beat Duke. Even if Duke turns out to be like a, a two and 10 team that, that gets knocked around the ACC and their two wins come from, non-conference games. I still think that'll be a, 
Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to call it a statement win, but still impressive nonetheless. So, um, Oh, so I, think, I think it's getting a little interesting as we get closer to the opener. I, like I said, I think Stan's starting to let his guard down a little bit more. Sometimes I think the coordinators will, will speak a little bit more freely, but those are just, I think, a few of the interesting position battles to watch. Again, you know, you, you'd, you'd like to think that they like what they see at corner with Cam Ruiz and Keyshawn Paul, but again, interesting that neither one of those guys got single digits, but the Jalen McMurray did. So, um, question marks at safety, question marks, a lot of position question marks, at quarterback. So, uh, again, I don't know the method behind Stan's madness for all. I know they could be sitting around saying, Hey, Dewan's a couple steps ahead of everybody. Then it's Quincy. And we like what Mariano Valenti's given us as, you know, scrapping along. And we think EJ Smith has a bright future, but we want to redshirt him. But Warner, EJ Warner, uh, excuse me, but I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, you know, heading into the opener. I think some things are starting to become a little clearer. Of course, I think the the single digit stuff kind of amps up those conversations, but we shall see. So thank you all for listening and joining us for another episode of The Scoop. Thank you to Mike Rieswick for joining us for the pod and for our ongoing Legends of North Broad Street series. And thank you to Javon Evans for, for being with me. And so I didn't have to do this podcast by myself. So uh Looking forward to covering the Duke game with you in a couple weeks, buddy. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon.